If you have your Bibles, you'll turn to the New Testament book of Colossians, uh, the fourth chapter. Colossians, the fourth chapter. On the first uh, of October, our church in, uh, embarked on what we call 50 days of standing in the gap. And through those 50 days of standing in the gap, it was that we were praying about the different measures, the questions that we were asking ourselves to see how we're doing spiritually and, and, and connecting with the, um, uh, the mission of our church, sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. But within that 50 days, it was also to pray for our president uh, and for the elections as they took place. And, and, you know, the elections ended on the 8th and then Wednesday on the 9th. Uh, I know some people were saying, well, why don't you just end it there? I said, well, I felt like we probably need to pray for our nation just as much after the election as we did uh, before. And uh, sure enough, that's been true. And so as we have prayed for those uh, kind of it'll be almost 12 days after the election, uh, it just meant that for 50 days that there are a lot of things we were praying for, but one of them in particular was about our nation and about our elections and about a need for spiritual revival. And so what my hope is, is that as we come to the close of that 50 days of standing in the gap, uh, officially today, to where many of you have chosen to do some type of fast and prayer during that time, as we come to the end of that, I hope that you have gotten into a routine of praying for your elected leaders, and you would continue that. And there are a lot of things that we need to pray for, but we need to pray for our nation and for a spiritual renewal and revival to take place and, and, and pray for uh, President Obama as, as he goes out of office and our President-elect Trump as he comes in and for the appointments and all of these things. It's not just a November thing. It's something that we need to be praying for constantly. And so as we come to a close of that, I cannot think of a better way to close out a time of prayer and fasting than to just ease right into Thanksgiving. Now, you know, Thanksgiving kind of gets left out. We, we know that. Uh, used to be a big deal when I was growing up. Today, it just gets the Halloween decorations. And once all that goes off the store, all of a sudden Christmas and it looks like Thanksgiving just gets slid in there a little bit. Well, we're going to take some time today to focus on Thanksgiving. And I want to talk to you today about a model for Thanksgiving. You see, some of us have a difficult time being thankful. It's just, just the way some are wired. And I, it's just, it reminds me of the, the story I heard about uh, the little boy that went to the birthday party. And when he came back home, his mom asked him, and she said, did you thank the mother for the party? He said, well, um, he said, I, I started to. And right before I did, the little girl in front of me went to her and she said, thank you. And the mother says, don't mention it. So I didn't. And sometimes we look for an excuse not to thank people or not to be thankful. But I believe that when I've seen in Scripture that we have a wonderful model for thanksgiving, and it's given to us by the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to walk through a lot of his writings and to see a model for thanksgiving. And I want you to write these, these points down, and then as you begin to design and, and, and set up your own life, I'd love for you to be able to have a life that is a model of thanksgiving. Let me tell you the very first thing that we need to do, and that is, is that we need to embrace a life of gratitude. Embrace a life of gratitude. Now, it's interesting when you look at the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. 
And as you read through the New Testament, what you pick up from Paul is that he referred to himself as the chief of sinners. But in the midst of his sin, Jesus saved him. And he says in Romans 7, 24 through 25, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, I am unworthy, but yet what God did was he saved me. And then he comes back and he says in Philippians 3, 8, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. He embraced a life of gratitude. I'm unworthy. Christ died on the cross for my sins. He called me to salvation. I, I accepted him. And that is greater than anything else in my life. And so he begins to embrace this life of gratitude. He begins to embrace the spirit of gratitude. And so you can tell that he is a man of gratitude because when he wrote letters to the churches, in just about every one of those letters, he would have some word of thanks to them. Now, if you got your Bible, now, if you've got a Bible that's like this, where you turn pages and not do this on your phone, uh, this may be quicker than doing the phone. So, so, cause I'm, I'm just going to be flying for just a moment, but if you got the phone, try to keep up with me. It'll be good. Don't answer your text, but just uh, keep up on, on your uh, new Testament app. Okay. Paul's letters, new Testament. Here we go. When he writes a letter, he's writing letters to churches and to groups of people. And it's interesting that when he writes these letters, how he opens them up. Romans, starting the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He says here, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. First, I'm going to thank my God for all of you. Boom, starts right out. Now, turn to your right and go to 1 Corinthians. It's just like we learned it, right? Right, if you get through Romans, then you get to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Look what he says beginning of his letter, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. That's how he started his letter to the Corinthians. Then you go to Ephesians, right? Keep turning to the right. First Corinthians, second Corinthians, Galatians. We're going to skip Galatians because he wasn't real happy with them. So there wasn't a whole lot of thanks you. He sort of jumped on them early, all right? But Ephesians 1, 16, he says in Ephesians 1, 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I'm constantly thanking God for you, the church at Ephesus. Now, turn to Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. He opens the letter by saying this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He said, I'm thankful. Look, what's the next verse, next uh, book? Colossians, right? Colossians 1 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Man, we're just thankful for him. We pray for him. We thank the Lord. All right, you finish that. You move on to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul embraced a life of gratitude. It started out because he was thankful because of his salvation experience and that God would love him enough to have his son die for him, and he embraced that. And when he took that 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 thank giving and that gratitude for salvation, it then oozed out into all parts of his life. 
And when he's writing letters to churches, the first thing he's talking about is I thank you and I'm thankful for you and I pray for you and I'm thankful and I'm thankful. The model of thanksgiving is the first of all, you need to embrace this life of gratitude. And so Paul would open his letters with thanksgiving, but oftentimes when he came to the end of his letters, he would send out greetings and and express thanksgiving. Just in the book of Romans itself, when you get to that last chapter, he sent out greetings to 26 people. 26 people are covered at the end of Romans. And it's Jews and it's Greeks, it's males, it's females, it's uh, people that are prominent citizens, it's others who are, who are prisoners. I mean, Paul was just not a soul winner. He was a friend maker. And he had all these friends and he's giving greetings to them and thanking, being thankful for them. He embraced a life of gratitude. And so if we wanted to zero in on just maybe one particular passage of Scripture, that's where Colossians 4 comes in. Because I think in Colossians 4, he takes this model of thanksgiving and takes it a little bit deeper. We know throughout all of his writings, he embraced a life of gratitude. But now he wants to look in Colossians chapter 4, starting in the 7th verse. Colossians chapter 4, starting in the 7th verse. Now follow with me. He's at the end of the letter. He's written to a church in Colossae, and this is what he says. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Aeropolis. At the end of his letter, he's sending these greetings and he's talking about these particular guys. And as he's talking about these guys, he's thanking them for what they do and he's letting that church know that these guys are greatly appreciated. So how do you build this model of thanksgiving? Number one, you embrace a life of gratitude. Number two, you express thanks to others. Express thanks to others. You can write a note You can send an email, you can make a phone call, or you could do something really radical. You could have a face-to-face conversation. Some of you say, I don't know, Skype them, okay? Uh, You could do even a face-to-face, but you express thanks. Express thanks. Do it more than just, just Twitter. Don't do like, oh, I got 144 characters to thank you. A little bit longer would be nice, but just thank somebody, okay? You say, well... So what do, how, do I, how do I do it? What are some of the parameters? <laughs> Paul lays it out perfectly. There's three parameters here for you to express thanks to others. Number one, be genuine. Number one, be genuine. I want you to look in this passage for just a moment. Tychicus, verse 7. He calls him a beloved brother. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. Epaphras, He says, I bear witness. That means I can assure you that what he's doing 
that what that the work he's doing is strong. Okay, now look at this. this is what's genuine. He's a beloved brother. He's a fellow prisoner. He's right alongside of me. I can bear witness. I can assure you this guy is getting it done. So whatever thanks he's giving is genuine. He's not just making this up. He's not just trying to throw false praise at people. He's wanting to be genuine. True thanksgiving is going to come from the heart. Don't try and fake it. Genuinely express your thanks. I, I was laughing because I was putting this message together. Uh, Janice had, had gotten a text uh, from someone we'd done something uh, for. And uh, in the text came back and it says, thanks a lot. And I just kind of laughed. I said, you know, you take thanks a lot two different ways, can't you? You ever thought about that? <laughs> you could get something and say, hey, thanks a lot. <sighs> or you could get a text that says, thanks a lot. So what does it mean? I don't know. We still don't know. No, we figured it out. It was a good, hey, thanks a lot. But I laugh because sometimes when people are trying to give thanks and they're not really genuine, it really is like a, hey, thanks a lot. There needs to be genuineness. And when you see what Paul does, when he writes about these guys, he always puts that little um, tag on there, a beloved brother, a fellow prisoner, someone that I can, I can assure you this is what they're doing. They are genuine. Number one, be genuine. Number two, be specific. Be specific. Don't just say, hey, thanks. Give him a reason why. And that's exactly what he did with this guy. Look at Tychicus. Take the first guy, Tychicus. He'll tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. So what's he said so far? Hey, I want to thank you, Tychicus, because you are a faithful minister. I want to thank you because you are a fellow servant. And then he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. I have sent him to you. He's the guy that's carrying the letter. I want to thank you for carrying the letter from Rome where I've written it to the church in Colossae. I thank you for that. And then he says that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. I want to thank you, Tychicus, for being an encourager. You're faithful. Man, you're a servant. You're the guy that's carrying the letter, but you are an encourager. Paul's in prison. These churches need to keep fighting. They need to keep fighting the fight. They need to be strong in the faith. And they need Tychicus to share the news of Paul and to be an encourager. Is that the only time he's used him? No. If you turn back a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, at the end of that letter, look what he says in verse 21 and 22. He says, so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. Sounds familiar? I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may, what does your translation say? Encourage your hearts. Tychicus, he was the guy that will bring the letter, he will read the letter, he will encourage your hearts. Aren't you glad he sent Tychicus and he didn't uh, uh, send, uh, oh, oh um, you know, the guy that's always kind of down and, and whiny uh, over there? You know, you've got like no good news Ned. You know, that guy who everything seems to be bad. A little negative Ned just over here. Because can you see him get the letter and he's come back and the whole church is waiting and he's been in Rome with Paul and takes the letter and he goes, well, I've been with Paul and... Uh, 
He's in, in prison. He's not doing real well. He just seems a little gaunt to me. Didn't eat a lot when I was with him. I don't know if they're ever going to get out. Kind of sad, to tell you the truth. Kind of tough. Guard's not real nice. I tried to talk to him. Didn't speak to me much. And uh, You know, it's, um, I don't know. He just, he just didn't seem real good over there. Yeah, you know, I used to have that real nice complexion and everything. Not now. I look, I've got a rash and it's been good. And, you know, I, he kind of got a little bit of a cough that I think he had before. And I just didn't seem as cheery. So let me read this letter uh, that he's written to encourage you on here. You're like, take me out. What are you talking about? But you, what you did was you brought a guy named Tychicus, the guy who carried the letter, the guy who's the encourager, and he gets the letter, and he says, man, I'll tell you what, I've been with Paul. I've been working with him over there, and uh, let, me, let me read the letter. This is what he's saying to you. Then all of a sudden, you're sitting on the edge of your chair. It's Tychicus, the encourager, is reading the letter on there. That's what you want. And guess what? Paul is thanking him for being that kind of guy. You're the encourager. You're the guy. You're the guy that's bringing the letter. I encourage you. I thank you for that. You be specific. If you're going to thank somebody, thank someone specific. You say, okay, well, that was just him. Did he do it with anybody else? Yes, Aristarchus. Look at this. Aristarchus, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. So what does that mean, my fellow prisoner? Do you, this Aristarchus, this is the guy you want with you. When Paul was in Ephesus, there was a riot that took place, and they arrested Paul, and guess who else got arrested? Aristarchus. He went in with Paul. Now, he could have run. He could have said, hey, I'm not a part of all this group. Uh, he said, I'm not going to get to write a book in the Bible. I mean, he could have said all kinds of things. But guess what? He said, I'm with you, big guy. And you know what? For the sake of the kingdom, he was arrested with him. He says, I was a prisoner with him. And then all of a sudden, he accompanied Paul when he went to Jerusalem. And then when Paul was going to go back to Rome, he was with him. And he was on the boat that got shipwrecked. And then there, he's with him in prison. I mean, Aristarchus, this guy, he is a fellow prisoner. He's staying the course with Paul. And so when he writes about him, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. And he says, he then, he greets you and Mark. And then he comes over and he says that these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Which means that Paul is ministering to the Greeks and to the Gentiles. And most of the Jews fell away and only three Jews remained. Only three that were standing by his side. Aristarchus was one of those, and he was thanking him for that. But look what he says at the very end of that verse 11. And they have been a comfort to me. They. Aristarchus is a part of that. They have been a comfort to me. That word means solace. It means a relief. Aristarchus, thank you for being a fellow prisoner. Thank you that when times got hard and others jumped ship, you stayed with me. I want to thank you that you're a fellow prisoner with me, and I also want to thank you that you have been here to provide relief and comfort through the words that you say. Maybe it's just your presence. Not sure what it is. But what Paul said, it brings a comfort to me, and I thank you specifically. Epaphras, verse 12. He says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured of his will. Guess what Epaphras does? He's a prayer warrior. He's struggling. It's a word that means agonizing in prayer. 
This is the guy that when we get up in the morning and we're looking around, Epaphras, we can't find him. You know why? Because he's over here. He's in his own little area and he's on his knees and his face before God. And he's praying for the church in Colossae. He's agonizing. He's praying for you. He's a prayer warrior. I'm writing a thank you note out there and I'm saying thank you. Thank you, Epaphras, for being that prayer warrior. You see, if we're really going to have a model of thanksgiving, we need to embrace a life of gratitude. We understand that. And then we need to be able to express our thanks to others. And as we express thanks to others, uh, we, we want to be able to be genuine from our heart, but we want to be specific. You know, that means so much more to be specific than just saying, hey, thanks for being my coach. Okay. You know, that's nice every so often. But would it be nice if you said, hey, thank you that you're my coach. Thank you for teaching me life lessons. Thank you for taking the extra time to work with me in this and this. Thank you for showing me what it means to be a man. Think about how you could be specific in thanking someone. You know, the reason you're even even thinking about thanking somebody is because of something that they did. So go to that something that they did and then phrase it and place it to them. Thank them. Be specific. What is it specifically that they did? And then write it out or talk to them face. Be genuine. Be specific. And number three is be prompt. Be prompt. Don't let the opportunity pass by. Paul's writing this letter. Five years from now, Paul's going to be sitting in another Roman prison. Shortly after he wrote these letters, he was released, continued ministry, then came back and was arrested and was placed in prison never to get out again. And the very last letter he wrote was 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4.11, he says, Luke alone is with me. None of these guys are with him. Tychicus was mentioned. He'd send him to Ephesus. He's just alone. And so he had the opportunity five years ago to express that thanksgiving, and he did. But there may come a time when you're not able to share that thanksgiving. You never know when you'll have time to thank someone. So be prompt. It's good for you because every one of us have probably had some kind of regret to where we say, I wish I had said thank you to my parents or thank you to this friend or thank you to this business associate. But then they've moved on. I don't know where they are and I never really got to say thank you. And whenever you can say thank you to someone, naturally it means a lot. You know, for you, it's good for you because you're expressing thanks, but it's really good for the person that receives it. Is there anybody here who's ever received a note of thanks and you really did not appreciate it? Did it ever put you in a bad mood when somebody thanked you for that? Hey, I want to thank you for what a great job you did over there. Thank you for your smile. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for what you did. Thank you for what you taught me. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. And then you read that and you go, I am so depressed. I wish I hadn't got this. You know, you can go through a day where you're so depressed and low and all of a sudden you'll get something in the mail or get an email or something. You open it up and it's a thank you note. Not, not real long, but just share some stuff. And what does that do after that? Kind of, kind of bow up a little bit, kind of nice. It makes you feel good. You say, wow. You mean I've really had some kind of impact in somebody's life? That's good. You appreciate it. And you know, I love to receive them. I love to send them out too. It's nice to be able to send and say, boy, really thank you in a genuine way. And when you thank them, like I said, be specific. So think about that. 
I mean, it could be a parent, could be a business associate, could be a classmate, could be a teacher, a Sunday school teacher, a neighbor, a mentor, a friend. Hey, business people could even be a customer. You could write a note to a customer thanking them that they had faith in you and and faith in your product and faith in, in your service. And so for this Thanksgiving, make a list of names, maybe a name or names that you would like to thank this Thanksgiving and then, then do it. You know, it might be a note card, again, phone call, face-to-face, whatever. It could be something right after Thanksgiving dinner. But make, make a note to say, this Thanksgiving, I'm going to thank somebody specifically for something that they've done. I, you know, this kind of came to me. I talked about it a little bit uh, at the beginning of the service uh, of just going uh, to Chris Adler's wedding. It's, it's interesting because, you know, we celebrate this couple that comes together and, and they're making pledges of vows of love and commitment that, that they say we're going to hold on and for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death parts us. And we celebrate that and we rejoice with them. And, and as Chris and his young bride, and they walk down and then all of a sudden right behind them comes out Mr. and Mrs. Adler, who've been married for 60 years. And where my mind went to is we have just celebrated a couple that was going, they were making these vows, hoping to keep them. And then right behind them, we've got a couple who have kept those vows. We've got a couple that said for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, we're going to be together until death parts us. What a beautiful picture on that. Did a wedding a week or so ago, and at the rehearsal dinner, the father of the, of the bride and the, of, said, uh, some of you may have questions about, about marriage and, and, uh, and looking for some, looking for some uh, suggestions and some counsel. And his comment was, don't look to me, look to the grandparents' table. And at the grandparents' table, he added it up, and there was 250 years of marriage sitting at the grandparents' table. 250 years of marriage. And I did point out during the service that if you added the, uh, added the uh, years of marriage for the bride's family and the groom's family, it puts it over 300. See, what a great testimony that is. And sometimes we just let those things pass. Have you ever thought about maybe writing a note to your grandparents and just thanking them for the legacy of what a strong marriage is and for taking vows and keeping those vows of marriage? So... The last measure that we had last week, it says, what am I waiting for? That'll be your measure for this week. What am I waiting for? Tell somebody thank you. Okay, you say, Danny, this is good for this week. Thanksgiving's going to end, and I'm not ever going to remember this, this sermon. I understand that's what I live with, okay? But here's my goal to get you to remember this sermon. All right, genuine, specific, and prompt. He preaches best that way. But for your memory, I want you to shift the P and the S. Genuine, prompt, and specific, right? Okay? Let's repeat that after me. Genuine, prompt, specific. Genuine, it's from the heart. Prompt, do it now. Specific, give them specifically what it is. GPS, okay? GPS. Y'all know what that means, right? GPS, right. GPS. Genuine, prompt, Specific. Repeat it again. Genuine, prompt, specific. Every time you take out your phone and you're trying to figure out directions on how to get somewhere, you're going to be activating GPS. And whenever that happens, I want this to come into your mind. Whoa. Thanksgiving. Thankful. Who am I thankful for? 
genuine, prompt, specific. And as you're trying to get the directions to get to a certain place, you know what it might encourage you to do? You may just sit there and send a quick little email to somebody or a text message and say, you know what, I was just thinking, thank you so much for this, this, this. Could happen. GPS, keep it in mind, all right? We've got that. So, Paul, embrace this life of gratitude. Express thanks to others, but then to close it out, we got to express thanks for Jesus. Express thanks for Jesus. If you're going to embrace, embrace a life of gratitude, it's not just thanking what other people have done, but it is to embrace and be thankful for what Jesus Christ has done for you. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 9.15, says this one short verse, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That word, inexpressible, is found nowhere else in all the New Testament. In fact, it is a word that Paul coined himself. It's like he made it up himself. It's like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or something, something like that, that, that this is this word that got put together. And so he puts this together, and, and it, it means it can't be fully related. It can't fully be communicated. If you have the King James Version, it says it's unspeakable for his unspeakable gift. New English Bible says it's beyond words. New Living Translation says a gift too wonderful for words. This is the gift of Jesus Christ. He says it's indescribable. You say, well, why would that be indescribable? The gift of Jesus, why is it indescribable? Write these words down really quick and hopefully they'll stay with you as we come to a close. Number one is this, it's an unmerited gift. It is an indescribable gift because it's an unmerited gift. Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's an unmerited gift. None of us deserve the gift of salvation. All of us are sinners, separated from God. And God, in his love, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It is a gift of grace, not of anything that we've done. Not because of our rugged individualism. Not because of our, our, our great things that we've done. It's all because of God's initiative. And it is a gift that we can thankfully accept. Number two, it's an unprejudiced gift. It's unprejudiced. What I mean by that, in Romans 8, 10, 13, it says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever, that includes you, me, everyone. It doesn't matter our race, our gender, our social economic status. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, Independent, Libertarian. It doesn't matter. It's open for everyone, for whoever. It's an unprejudiced gift. But number three, it's an unparalleled gift. It's unparalleled. It's an unparalleled gift because in John 15, 13, he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Greater love, the greatest expression of love is that you lay down your life for your friends. And this is exactly what Jesus did. As he went to the cross and he laid down his life for all of us, he showed the greatest love in that we did not deserve it and we were deserving punishment. And what Jesus did is he came, he took all of our punishment and he put it on himself. And he says, I'll take your punishment and I'll die for you. Wow. That gift is unparalleled on there. It's unmerited, it's unprejudiced, it's unparalleled. And number four, it's an uncontainable gift. It's an uncontainable gift. In John 7, 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That means we will be instruments by which the Holy Spirit will be poured down on the world. 
And as believers, we don't not only drink the water, as we drink this living water, we become channels of that living water to go into the world. It's uncontainable. Uh, These uh, new disciples in the new church, in the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit came and they were preaching the message and the people brought, brought them before the authorities and told them to stop, look what they said, Acts 4.20, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. It is uncontainable. This is such great news. I don't care what you're going to do to me. I don't care if you beat me. I don't care if you imprison me. I don't care if you kill me. I'm going to keep speaking the word. He said, it's uncontainable. It's an incredible gift. It's a gift, gift of life. And that's the fifth one, and that is it's an unending gift. It is an unending gift. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's eternal life. And so when God sent his son, he sent him on a mission that would have eternal implications. He paid for our sins once for all, and that payment has been met. But what makes this gift so indescribable, so inexpressible, is that once we accept this gift, we don't just feel good for a moment. We just don't have peace for a time and forgiveness for a season. This gift lasts through eternity. It lasts through eternity. And so that's why this is such an indescribable gift, because it's not just something to get you through finals. It's not just something to get you through a difficult time. It's not just something to get you through a a bad report from the hospital. This is something for eternity. That when we accept this gift, it changes our life. It transforms who we are. It gives us life with a purpose and gives us the peace that passes all understanding to handle whatever comes our way in life. An incredible gift. And we get to walk lockstep with our Heavenly Father through the life we have on this earth. And when our days come to an end and we step into eternity, we step into eternity with God as a child of God adopted into his family to live with him forever. It's an indescribable gift. And we are to consistently give thanks for that. So sometimes we'll kind of get pricked when we think about how long has it been since I thanked my parents for this or thanked somebody for that. But I want you to be thinking every day we need to be thanking God for this indescribable gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't do it just because you say, Danny says you have to. It's because you want to. Because you embrace this life of gratitude and you're so thankful that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so every day, every moment, we are to be thanking him And thanking him for Jesus. And then once we thanked him for that, we then turn around and we express our gratitude and our thankfulness to other people for the things that they've done in our lives and how their lives have intersected our lives and the impact that they've made there. That's a model for Thanksgiving. My hope is that as we step into this Thanksgiving where we celebrate it on this next Thursday, that this will be a whole week that we begin to reorient ourselves to being that model of thanksgiving, that we'll truly embrace a life of gratitude, that we will express thanks to others who have intersected our lives, and then we'll also at the same time constantly and consistently expressing our thanks to Jesus for dying on the cross for our sins and for adopting us into his family. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
We thank you for salvation and thank you for all the things that we've been able to share today about your incredible goodness. And so we pray as we come to the close of this service that, um, that we'll be moved by the words out of your word about your goodness and that our hearts will turn towards you and we'll provide that thanksgiving. But Lord, I also want to pray that you'll kind of put our thanksgiving radars uh, up, our antennas up, have our radars set so we can listen and observe things that have taking place around us and people who are, are saying and doing things for us that oftentimes we take for granted. That, Father, we don't want to get to the point where we live with ingratitude, but that we would be very cognizant of these events that are taking place. And may we be motivated to express that thanks to them. And so, Lord, in all of our thanksgiving, we give you honor, praise, and glory. And we're thankful for what you've done through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we too can have that hope of eternal life. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.